0: You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck, available August second. Pre-order now at glenbeck.com/liars. What I'm going to do in this episode is, uh, and this is a very original, uh, you know, nobody does this, it's an original idea, but we're going to do a a mailbag thing. And I get a lot of emails and messages throughout the week, a lot of people asking me to chime in on different topics. And I don't have the time to respond to most of them or to say much about a lot of these topics that they're asking me about. And I figure this could be a good avenue to address some of those random uh, topics. Because we know that these days you simply cannot let an event occur anywhere in the world without saying something about it something must be said by everyone about everything and that's that's my job so let's get to it by the way email is matt walsh at the matt or you can send me a facebook message facebook.com slash matt walsh blog keep in mind these are these are carefully cherry-picked so that i so that i'm only answering questions that interest me and it's kind of surprising then that my first email is about pokemon uh stephanie writes matt change of pace from the black lives matter all lives matter conversations i really love to hear your thoughts on this whole pokemon app craze or what i would call addiction i just can't help but think it's one more distraction to our phones, something to keep us distracted while driving slash walking keeps us from actually engaging with other people i've also recently heard of people finding dead bodies uh while playing the game others being lured into robberies I'm guilty of the typical apps and social media, however, this just seems plain dangerous. I'm going to try and stay away from this one. Um, yeah, I just, just the I mean it's, I think this thing came out. It, all I know is that I you know I, I went online one fine day, like a few a few days ago, and there were all these articles about how Pokemon Go is the next huge craze and everyone's playing, playing it, and I'm thinking, when did that happen? I, and apparently it had happened like 12 hours before. In the span of 12 hours, it had become this overnight sensation. And I, yeah, just the other day, I went to the gym, and there was this g- group of... I mean, they had to be in their 20s, 20-somethings, not much younger than me, walking, not into the gym, of course, but just walking by it, on the road, staring at their phones, just... And I could tell they were playing the game. They were just intently, you know, aimlessly walking. That's how you know. If you see someone just... On their phone, pacing back and forth, aimlessly walking in the middle of the street. Either they're on drugs, or uh, they're playing Pokemon Go, or maybe both. Now, this uh, is—I mean, I just, (laughs) what is going on? I look. My first thought is, grow up. You know, let's just grow up, everybody. Let's grow up. But then I thought, hey, you know, you can't knock it until you try it, and I'm always told that. Because it's a, on a reg, rather regular basis that something comes along, some craze, pop culture craze, and yeah, I'm the guy saying this is stupid. Why are you people doing this? And everyone says to me, you haven't even tried it. How, how do you know it's stupid? How, how dare you? You, know, you don't understand what the game is or, or what it does or why it does anything. How, how could you possibly know? So I thought, let me be open-minded this time. Let me give open-mindedness a try. Let me actually download the app and give it a shot before I declare ignorant of the facts that it's stupid. So I did. Um, free app. I downloaded it. I turned the game on. And yeah, it, it uses your GPS and camera, makes little uh, Pokemon dudes appear in the landscape of real life through your camera. And uh, then you catch them or whatever. I played it for, I'd say for 90 seconds. 90 seconds at most. And that was enough. My, sus- my suspicions were confirmed. It's stupid. And it's for kids. It's a game for kids. It's a game for little kids. And I could see how... Uh, don't get me wrong now uh, maybe an eight or nine year old I think that they should be out running around not on their phone but to, to play it for five ten minutes as a little kid I can see it would be fun to do yeah but for adults now I know you can't you can't criticize anything anymore without being accused of hating fun being a party pooper and actually I like fun I like parties but I just have this nagging feeling that what we do for fun and the sort of parties we enjoy should evolve somewhat as we grow you know that's I really think that's how it's supposed to work. I'm pretty sure about this. I remember my dad when I was a kid, and he was in his, uh, his mid-30s, early 40s, when I was a little kid. And I remember that he did things for fun, but he didn't do the exact same things I did. Now, he would do the, the things that I did with me, but he wouldn't do them on his own. And look, it's one thing if, like, Pokemon were this one little quirky thing about my generation or or thing that my generation had become somewhat obsessed with. Just just one little thing. But it's not. We love superheroes. We love cartoons. We love kid shows like Full House. The whole nostalgia market is just companies repackaging the same silly crap we liked when we were seven and giving it back to us when we're twenty-seven or thirty-seven and we eat it up. So it's not just Pokemon. It's everything. I mean they're coming out with a new Power Rangers movie and I know people, grown men, who are hyped to see it. Power Rangers, for God's sake. It doesn't end. Power Rangers. And again, it's, well, how, you know, it's what someone enjoys. How can you judge them? Yes, I do ju- I judge a 28 year old man who wants to go see Power Rangers by himself or with his other 28 year old friends. He's taken his five year old son, great. He's going by himself. He he himself is really excited to see Power Rangers. Yeah, I judge that. I judge that. That's not that's not normal. There, there's something wrong here. Here's my thing. I think we need to leave the nostalgia behind and start living in the here and now. That's that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. And it's kind of depressing that all of the things we're nostalgic about, you know, my generation. Not long ago, there was a. I mean, well, it seems like you see something like this on Twitter every Saturday. But there was a hashtag on Twitter. It was something like you know hashtag What I miss. From childhood, or something like that, people were listing the um, reminiscing about what they missed from childhood, and it's very depressing that check the hashtag, and it's a lot of people my age, and everything they're saying, it's all shows, games, characters, not experiences, not actual experiences, not hey, I miss um, going out into the woods, uh, spending all day in the woods with my friends, uh, with you know sticks and pretending they're guns and shooting each other, or you know building a treehouse or climbing things. That's not what I saw. It was, I miss uh, Doug. I miss the Rugrats cartoon show. That's what, I, that's, what I, that's what I'm nostalgic for. I just reminisce about this cartoon show that I watched when I was six. They're just products that we ingested. That's our entire life. So that's what I'm saying. Pokemon is not just a thing. It's a symptom. This is our entire life is products. And they're not even products made for adults. Yes, let people enjoy themselves, fine. I'm not stopping them. But when enjoying ourselves with toys and games becomes our lifestyle, when it takes precedence over being adults, taking on responsibilities, then um, it is a problem. And someone needs to say it and expose himself to accusations of hating fun. Again, I don't, I don't hate fun. I just have a different kind of fun today than I had when I was five. The only exception is that, as I said, you know, I, have, I have young kids now. So I'll do things with them that I did when I was five. It's one, of the, it's one of the great things about being a parent. I'll dress up like a superhero now, run around the house with my son, uh, who's three years old. But it's fun for me because it's fun for my son. I like seeing him have fun. That's what makes it fun. It's not fun on its own. Okay, running around the house pretending to be Superman, all jokes aside, as an adult, on its own, is not a fun thing for me to do. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's not... But I love doing it with him because he's having fun, and that's an experience that I want him to have. I wouldn't do it if he weren't in the house. Okay, if he weren't in the house, and I'm looking and I'm saying I want to relax. I'm not putting on the Superman cape and running around the house, pretending to shoot lasers from my eyes because I'm thirty. I'm a thirty-year-old man. I have a mortgage. I have kids. I have a job. That's I don't spend my time that way. You you really shouldn't, as an adult. Yet there are adults who dress up like superheroes and go to conventions without kids. Most of them don't even have kids, hopefully. And, they, go, and they, they call it cosplay, and they put on freaking superhero costumes, and they go and they hang out. And again, everyone says, well, you can't judge it. They're just having fun. Yeah, but you can judge it. I, actually, I can. An adult who watches cartoons for four hours a day, I can judge that. I do judge it. And yeah, it's not hurting me. It's not, but I still judge it. Because it's a stupid thing to do. You, you, you need to grow up is what I'm saying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I mean. Have, haven't we grown up at all? Shouldn't we grow some? A little bit? Shouldn't we grow a little bit? Shouldn't we discover a, another level of life? Shouldn't we plunge deeper into life and discover joys that are, that are, that are deeper than these, these products, these shows and characters? Okay, here's this is the last thing I'll say on this on this topic. But j- just as an example, I eat different things now uh, than I did when I was young. Not, I mean, there, there there's some crossover. There, there there are some some foods that have held over, but there's a lot of things I ate when I was younger that I don't eat anymore. And there were, there were a lot of things that I wouldn't eat when I was younger that I do eat now. And for instance, now look, I'll still have a, a candy bar on occasion, but I'm not ingesting constantly just like the sugar and candy all the time. I don't need everything to be super sweet all the time. I'm not going to, you know, when I was a kid, I used to like to go if I, you know, I got my little, uh, $5 a month allowance and I would usually spend it all on candy. And so I would go, I would get pixie sticks, which are just, it's just colored sugar. And I would, and they would even sell these, I don't know if they sell them anymore. these pixie sticks that were the size of a fire hose and you would just chug all the sugar and they would even sell what are those um what were those it was like this gelatinous sugary substance that you would suck out of a almost like a baby bottle type of thing and it was just this and this is the kind of stuff i liked when i was a kid i don't eat that stuff anymore i I just no interest it sounds disgusting now I, i have no. yeah i mean a chocolate some chocolate, or some chocolate bar, I can still go for, uh, but I'm not obsessed with candy, and uh, I don't that kind of stuff. I don't eat all the time, and I don't need everything to be sweet. And there were things that I remember the first time that when I was a kid, I had an olive, a green olive. I remember the first time I had uh, when I at Thanksgiving, and my aunt brought over uh, sautéed Brussels sprouts, and I and I had that, and I hated it. Uh, beer for okay, I don't want to get my parents in trouble, but when I was When I was, my my parents did this thing, which I think is is smart to do actually, but I don't remember how old, when I was 12 maybe, my dad, he he would drink beer, you know, at night and he would pour it into a glass all the time and you see it kind of frothing up and it looks like soda, it looks like a root beer float, the kind of beer that he would drink and I used to always think it looks so good, you know, it looks so tasty and I would always ask him, can I try a sip of it and of course he would always say no, but one day when I was 12, he finally said, all right, take a sip, you can have a little sip of it. Go ahead. Take a sip. And I did. And it was disgusting. It was just the worst thing. I could not believe. I really was worried about my dad. I thought that he maybe had a mental disorder that he actually would drink this stuff for fun. I could not conceive of how anyone would drink this and enjoy the taste of it because he wasn't drinking and getting drunk. He would have one beer. He liked the taste. And I thought, what do we need? Do we need to get you checked out, dad? I'm concerned about you, pops, because how could you possibly like this? Now, so that's how I was when I was a kid, but now, uh, I, I don't eat pixie sticks anymore. I don't eat gelatinous, sugary, whatever stuff all the time. I don't have the same cravings for candy. However, I I love green olives. I'll get a craving for green olives and I'll eat 50 of them. Maybe not that many. I love sauteed Brussels sprouts are great. Okay. They're a great food. I like the taste of beer. I really love the taste of beer. Uh, I see where my dad was coming from. So you look at my diet now, there's food in it that's more bitter, uh, that's uh, more complex. It's it's healthier for you in, in many cases. The food that I eat isn't bright neon colors. It's not pure sugar. But you can't look at my diet and say, oh, your diet is lame now. Your diet was much more fun when you were a kid. You had a much more fun diet. And you can't look at a 30-year-old man who still won't eat vegetables, won't eat meat, won't eat potatoes, but eats freaking Pixie Sticks. You can't look at him and say, he has a more fun diet. No, he he, he has a diet. He's going to be dead in three years. He has a diet that's killing him. And it's also a very childish, ridiculous diet. Because his palate has not developed as it should. My diet now, it's not perfect, by the way. But these things that I enjoy now that I hated when I was a kid, I've discovered, I've learned that they are very enjoyable. They taste very good because I've grown. My palate has grown and evolved and developed and matured. And so now it's not that my diet is less fun than it was. It's more fun. It's more complex. It's, It's wider. It's bigger. There's more that I can enjoy. And the reason why I don't eat pure sugar is because it's boring. For one thing, basically, it's boring now. Just just to chug pure sugar, as a kid, yeah, you're very simple. You like that. But as an adult, yeah, I like to have something that's sweet, but I would like it in a, in a, in a, a meal of some kind. You know, give me a pie. Don't just give me the sugar from the pie. Give me the, the full pie. And I might eat the whole thing because I love pie. But I needed the complexity of it, and and I still really enjoy it. So that's what I'm saying when it comes to really everything. That, yeah, there's some things you still enjoy as an adult. It's not like your entire life has to change. But, and it's not as though you stop having fun as an adult, but your fun changes because you grow and mature and your palate becomes more mature and can recognize things and appreciates things that it didn't appreciate before. That's how it's supposed to be. So it's really that you're actually having a deeper sort of fun because you can can discover things and you can appreciate things that you couldn't before. That's why as an adult, I'm not going to sit. When I was a kid, if my parents would let me, and they didn't, but I could have sat for six hours and watched cartoons on Cartoon Network. I could have done that if I had been allowed to. And I would have really enjoyed it. I don't do that now. Um, I don't do that now. And it's not because my life is more boring, but it's less. I, I actually, I don't do it because I see that's too a little too simple. If I'm going to sit down and watch something, I can still watch something that's fun and enjoyable, but I need a little bit more than that because my palate is more complex now and because I'm a deeper person now than I was when I was five. And so I need more to really enjoy it. The reason why I don't watch cartoons for six hours is because it's boring. It's boring. I, I, here's the, I'm, as an adult, we're too intelligent and have experienced too much to be sucked into a cartoon for six to seven hours in a day. You know, Not to mention we have too many other things going on in our lives. I think that's how it's supposed to be. Okay, next email. Next, this is from Steve. He says, Matt, the GOP put in its platform that porn is a public health crisis. What do you think about that? Do you agree? Do you think the GOP needs to talk about porn at all? Uh, yes, this was a story that interested me this week. Uh, you know, Here's the actual language the GOP added to its platform this week, or or will add, debated adding. So here's the actual language. It says, the internet must not become a safe haven for predators. Pornography with its harmful effects, especially on children, has become a public health crisis that is destroying the lives of millions. We encourage states to continue to fight this public menace and pledge our commitment to children's safety and well-being. We applaud the social networking sites that bar sex offenders from participation, We urge energetic prosecution of child pornography, which uh, closely links to human trafficking. Okay, to answer the question, I agree both with this position and with the fact that they took a position on it. I think it's obvious to anyone, uh, anyone with a a brain, uh, that that porn is and has been extremely detrimental to society. We have kids from the age of 12, 13, even younger now probably – Growing up on hardcore porn their first introduction to human sexuality is hardcore grotesque porn There are kids prepubescent Have no concept of of sexuality no concept of the world of mature human relationships and they're being exposed to and uh, ingesting Just depravity and perversion that your average 40-year-old 100 years ago would have never seen or even heard of. Um, Would any honest thinking person claim that this is not a problem at the very least? And I would say it's a crisis. Would any honest person say that it will not and has not caused damage to kids and to the adults they become when they grow up on this stuff? See, this is what we do. And a lot of people, of course, a lot of people do claim that. They say, oh, it's just images. And this is what annoys me. When we pretend, we're all humans, aren't we? If you're listening to this and understanding what I'm saying, you're at least a human being. And so as human beings, there is a certain insight that we all have into human beings because we are one. Now, there's a lot about us that might be unique, uh, a lot about us that we can't project onto others. But there's quite a lot about us that is not unique. Quite a lot that is not unique. Quite a lot that is just a part of the human condition. So there's quite a lot that you can, you can see within yourself and you can basically extrapolate that this is the case for everybody else. So for instance, I know that I, we're not just talking about pornography, but just um, anything. I'm very impacted by images. It's not just a thing that I see, and then you just move on, and there's no trace of it left behind in your head. I'm very impacted by images. Just images. They, 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 you ingest them, they go into your head, they leave an impression, they stick around in your head, they inform the way that you see other images, and there's just this whole collection that becomes this whole jumble. I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. I, I, I'm pretty sure this is how human beings are. I, I think I'm not the only one who is very impacted by images. So why is it that we pretend when it comes to hardcore porn ingested by an 11-year-old that, oh, it's nothing, it's just an image, just an image, it's all, oh, it's just a thing on a screen, it doesn't mean anything? You're a person. You're a human being. You know that's not true. You know that's not true. You know that you can see images that move you, that infuriate you, that that disgust you. Uh, images that change your, your view on things. It just I mean, images that will make you cry, make you laugh, make you throw up. I'm not the only one, am I? This is, these are This is how people are. But yet we pretend. And here's why we pretend, because this is what we do in society. We defend the things we do because we do them. And for no other reason. So porn has a lot of defenders because it has a lot of users. It's very simple. People not only use porn, but they lack the moral courage to admit that the habit is destructive. And look, I'm not saying that. I mean, this stuff is especially for men, who I think are more drawn by images, more more impacted by them, especially sexual images. I mean, and this stuff is everywhere. You know, it's just it's just, it's just it, the the oversexed society that we live in. It's just everywhere. You're just absolutely surrounded by it, no matter what you do. Especially if you go online. So I'm not saying that a man that has struggled with this or slipped up or, you know, made the wrong decision, moments of weakness, I'm not saying that he lacks moral courage. Not my point. Lacking moral courage is not in making a mistake, uh, doing the wrong thing, but lacking the moral courage is when we refuse to admit to ourselves and to others that what we did is wrong. And not that, you know, if someone looked at porn, they need to go announce it to the world. Okay, you don't need to do that. It's not, it's not the whole world's business. But if you go announce to the world in general terms, oh, looking at porn is fine, and you know in your head you're only saying that because you do it, that is where the lack, the serious lack of moral courage comes into play. It's not in doing the bad thing, but it's in the refusal, the utter refusal to acknowledge that what we did was bad. It's, you can't call that anything but anything but a lack of courage. It doesn't have to be that way, uh, by the way. It's possible to do something, to have a weakness, a temptation, but admit that it is a weakness and it is a temptation. It is possible to do that. Just because you indulge in or have indulged in a sin, whatever it is, doesn't mean you have to defend the sin. You don't. What do you think the definition of hypocrisy is? I bet a lot of people would say saying one thing and doing another is the definition of hypocrisy, but it's not. That's not the definition. And if you think that's the definition, then you will think, therefore, that if you do a bad thing, you should not say it's bad because then you'll be hypocritical. Wrong. That's not hypocritical. You know what that is? That's honest. That's the opposite of hypocrisy. Hypocrites are those who claim to believe what they do not believe. And just, just because your actions don't always line up with what you say that doesn't mean you don't believe what you say it just means that you're weak, and we all are um, for instance, you know somebody uh, gets into a fight, gets very angry, punches another guy in the head you can't look back at his past and find areas where he said violence is wrong and then assume that he's a hypocrite, like he didn't actually believe that violence is wrong no he knows it's wrong it's just he made he made the wrong decision he got he got he got very angry and he lost himself and he did the wrong thing it doesn't mean that he he wasn't serious when he denounced violence. it just means that he's a, he's a, he's a weak person, flawed like we all are so hypocrites are not people who say porn is bad, and then, in a moment of weakness, look at porn. no, those are flawed but honest people, and it takes courage to denounce something you yourself do or have done. It takes courage. As long as you don't do it in a self-righteous way, as long as you don't say, I'm better than people who do it, as long as you don't put yourself on a pedestal and say, I'm the example, I'm better, all you guys are horrible, I'm the best. Okay, that doesn't take courage. That, again, is cowardice, um, pride, dishonesty. But if you simply say, listen, this is wrong. This is wrong. And you just say it in general terms. You know, you're not, you're just, it's wrong. It's a wrong thing. That takes courage because you are confronting your own sin. It's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying you believe something when you don't. So really, um, people who say they believe porn to be neutral or even beneficial and then go ahead and look at porn, yeah, their actions and their words line up, but they are the hypocrites. Do you know why? Because their words don't line up with their beliefs. They don't believe and they know they don't believe that porn is actually good. They know that, everybody knows it. It's a shameful thing. We all recognize it instinctively. So they're hypocrites. Porn becomes a compulsion, a diversion, an obsession. It lessens us, dehumanizes the viewer and the viewed, the voyeur and the exhibitionist. It warps our understanding of human sexuality. It turns us into, a, turns people into commodities, into drugs. You know, a thing, a thing, an object to be consumed. It's a selfish, even violent pursuit. Something devoid of love, of humanity, of sacrifice that's what it is that's what it's that's what it does that's why it's bad there's no difference between porn and prostitution the only difference is that there's a third party involved behind a computer screen but that doesn't make it better i mean if anything that makes it worse because all you've done is involve more people so i always think it's funny when people draw this line between porn and prostitution no this is you know a, a someone who's who's in a porn even online is uh, having sex for either money being paid directly or um, attention or for something. I mean, they, they are getting something out of it. They are being paid essentially for sex and everyone else is paying for the sex. Um, now you might not be paying, you know, it doesn't mean, well, I'm not, I don't have, I, I'm not subscribed to a premium porn site. It means I'm not paying. No, you're paying through ad hits or whatever you're paying. You're paying for it somehow. And so it's the same thing. Only prostitution has fewer defenders than porn. And I find that absurd because if you're anti one, you ought to be anti the other. Should politicians have a position on porn? Sure. Why not? It's something that affects society. It affects the country. Why shouldn't they take a stand on it? Next, from Adam. Matt, looking for a new bourbon to try. Recommendations. This is a, I get this question probably 80 times a day, and I like it. It's great. Um, recommendations, absolutely. Uh, I don't know how versed you are, but if you haven't tried Four Roses Single Barrel, give that a shot. That's a go-to for me. It should run you about 40 bucks. I've recently had a lot of Henry McKenna um, bottled in Bond 10 years. Very solid. It's also cheap, 30 bucks. I think it's about $30, so pretty cheap stuff, very good. Well, you can't go wrong with Makers, but I'm, I'm sure you've had that before. Woodford, of course. Booker's and Blanton's are great, but more expensive. If you haven't had Noah's Mill, that's something that I've, I've had more recently. You should try that. Serious stuff, maybe about 115 proof, I think, 114 proof. Heavy hints of vanilla and oak, which I love in a bourbon. And I'm no expert, by the way. I'm just, um, I'm uh, not a connoisseur. I'm, I'm, a, I'm right now at the level of enthusiast, and that's all. Connoisseur is the next level. And I'm, I'm, of course, not there. But, I, but, but try those out and let me know what you think. All right. Next from Kayla. Matt, big fan. I have a different sort of question. I like those. The female Ghostbusters. What do you make of the fact that they felt the need to remake the movie with females? Will you see it? Is this more PC nonsense? Okay, this one I will judge without trying it. No, I have not seen it. I won't see it. Yes, it is more PC nonsense. PC in the sense that we're supposed to care. This is what annoys me about the female Ghostbusters thing. I wouldn't care if they just did it and that's it. You And they put the movie out and it's stupid and bad and and, and whatever. And there are a lot of stupid, bad movies. But it's uh, the fact that we're supposed to be proud or something. That we're supposed to applaud these multi-millionaire celebrity women for having the courage to star in a Ghostbusters film. That's where it becomes... And we've you know, we heard for months now that there's this misogynistic backlash against uh, Ghostbusters because people are mad that females are in it rather than males. And no, that, see, that's not what it is. The, the, the backlash, there's a few elements to the backlash. There's first the element that there really isn't much of a backlash, but it's really conjured up by, by liberals who are trying to you know seem like heroes for supporting a Ghostbusters film. So there's not really a serious backlash. Most people don't care that much. But to whatever extent there is a backlash, it comes on two fronts. Number one, there are people who say this is a 30-year-old film, uh, comedy film that starred some comedic legends, and now you're doing the second sequel to it, minus all of the original actors, the original writers, the original director, uh, there is no chance it's any good. There's no reason to do this other than just to make money off of it. And so it's it's not going to be good, and, and that's why we don't think you should do it. There, there are people in that camp. That's not really a backlash. They're just sort of – it's the standard critique of Hollywood where we take these once-beloved um, properties or films and we turn them into franchises and we suck whatever soul they had out of them and um, make them into this hollow, empty, special effects-laden – bore and there's so there's that and then there are people who are more in my now i feel that way about it but i don't really i don't have any special aff- attachment to the original ghostbusters film so the fact that it's being bastardized doesn't to me it's not like they're doing it to the godfather which i wouldn't put it past them and i guess they already did do that with the third God, uh, godfather but the the second level of backlash is just the people who didn't care but then they were constantly told that they're supposed to care but in a positive way, because there are women in it. And we're supposed to be happy about that. So we, were, we didn't care. And then we're, it was beat over our head. You should be happy about this. Be proud. It's a, this is a victory for women everywhere. You misogynist. And once that started happening, then we get the pushback. Because we're like, all right, back off. I don't care. Let me not care, please. No, I, it's, it doesn't matter. I, it it is not significant at all that there are women in the Ghostbusters film. Sorry, go away, please. And that all of a sudden is the is the backlash. That's what it is. So yeah, and as far as the film, as I said, you know, it's uh, this goes back to the first conversation a little bit. These types of, of films are not designed to be good. You know, they aren't shooting for quality or creativity or anything like that. They aren't telling a story because they feel like this is a story that's worth being told. Uh, And this is the case with the new Ghostbusters or with any of these, with with, with at least many of these franchises, many of these movies that they make 8,000 sequels to and remakes and everything else. I mean, take Spider-Man. How many Spider-Man films have there been? Not only how many Spider-Man films, but how many times has the origin story of Spider-Man been told on film or on TV? In just the last like twenty years, it just it's not even they keep making the movies. That they keep making the same movie of the kid being bitten by the radioactive spider and then learning that he can crawl on the walls. And you think they keep telling the story? Is it because the story is so deep and just so incredible? It's like there is so much in it. There is just so many layers to unpack. That you could just keep telling the same story over and over again and find different angles and find different things in it. Is it like that? Is, is it really, is the origin story of Spider Man like the origin story of Christ? Is, is it like the Gospels where you can make the story, the, the story of Christ has been told on film X amount of times and uh, it can be interesting every time if it's done well? Is it like that? In fact, I think the, the story of Spider Man, the origins of Spider Man have been told more often on film than the origins of Jesus Christ or of really any other significant figure is it because the story is so great so incredible unbelievable a story of a guy getting bit by a spider and climbing on the walls or is it just because they know the story's already been told it doesn't need to be told again we get it we get it thank you but they just know it's an easy way to make money and and the answer is is the latter option there um and so when 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 a studio makes a movie that they're not even like, they're not even trying to make it a good movie. They're not even telling the story because they think it's a worthwhile story. At that point, I, I have no hesitation to just automatically dismiss it without even seeing it because they, they're not even, yeah, of course it's not good. They don't even want it to be good. They're not even trying to make it good. So why should I, why should I bother seeing it? You're utterly disrespecting me as a, as a viewer, aren't you? You're just shoving this down my throat. The same bull crap yet Again, because you think i'll eat it not because you think i need to or i should or i'll gain something from it all right last one from tim uh says hi matt you haven't said anything about the conscience protection act that passed the house yesterday do you think it's going to be vetoed by the president and is that why it isn't important to you now yes the conscience protection act uh passed the house i think it was yesterday as i'm recording this anyway It's a bill that protects healthcare workers who do not want to participate in or perform abortions, and it would make it illegal to force them to kill babies if they don't want to. Yes, it will be vetoed by the president, of course. But no, that doesn't make it unimportant. It is important. It's very important. Very important. I have two thoughts about these kinds of bills, these pro-life bills that are sure to be vetoed and therefore will not become law. And unfortunately, if we end up with a President Clinton... This is something we'll have to keep in mind because we're going to have eight more years where no pro-life bill will become law. So on one hand, I absolutely think they should be written and voted on even if there's no chance of them becoming law because they'll be vetoed. On the other, I don't think they should be celebrated as victories. Now, let me explain. Republicans should be doing whatever they can to keep the slaughter of the unborn in the front pages and at the front of people's minds. They should be doing whatever they can. Um, They should be fighting against it, even if it's futile. They should be raging against the dying of the light, or in this case, raging against the dying of the unborn. They should be raging against it no matter what. They should make this fight, the pro-life fight, one of its central battlegrounds. They should force Obama to veto these bills, force him to veto them, force him to veto a pro-life bill every day. That's bad. That's better than having him not veto any bills because the bills don't exist, but passing a pro-life bill through a Republican held house should not be seen as a victory because it's not, it should be seen as an utterly automatic thing. It should be seen as congressmen doing their jobs, just doing exactly what they should be doing period. In other words, I won't congratulate a politician, a supposed pro-life politician, for simply voting for a pro-life bill because I expect them to do that. That is their job. I don't applaud it. Expect it. I demand it. Just like I won't applaud my plumber for not flooding my bathroom when he works in the toilet. I expect him to not flood the bathroom. That's why I'm paying him. Because if I wanted to flood the bathroom, I could do it myself. I'm paying him to not do that. I'll say thanks to be polite. I'll be happy when the job is done, but he's not a hero for simply doing what I paid him to do for simply holding up his end of the bargain. Uh, Just like you're not a, you're not a hero for not cheating on your wife. That's you're holding up your end of the bargain. Don't ask to be congratulated or to be given a high five when you come home from work and didn't cheat on your wife that day for the plumber. If he took my money and then flooded a bathroom and then wouldn't give me my money back and wouldn't fix it, he's a scam artist. And not being a scam artist doesn't make one a hero. Same for Republicans in Congress. Not being scam artists, and that's what Republicans who don't stand for the pro-life cause are, scam artists. But that doesn't make them heroes. They're just doing their jobs. And I'm glad they're doing their jobs, and I want them to keep doing it. But I'm not going to pat them on the back just for doing their jobs. They go above and beyond. You know, they do, they do more than what is required, more than what we simply demand as taxpayers and as, their, as the people who voted them into office, then that's different. But simply voting on a bill like this, great. Great. Um, it should be done. And it should keep, it, it, we should keep doing it. But if you want to pat on the back for it as a congressman, I'm not going to give it to you because you're doing exactly what you could, should do. Exactly what any of us would do if we were in your position. Nothing more, nothing less. And let me tell you, doing less is not acceptable. So I don't congratulate you for not doing less because it's not acceptable. And I think that's the attitude we have to have. We should have an attitude of utterly expecting, demanding that Republican politicians do the basic things necessary for the pro-life cause. We should expect. All right, that's going to do it for me. Uh, I will talk to you guys next week. Our cruces, salus. Godspeed.